Well, I'm so excited for tomorrow <clears throat> begins vacation Bible school, and that's an exciting <clears throat> it's an exciting time in the life of any church. It's also first Sunday in June, <clears throat> so we kind of thought today would be the perfect day. We're going to continue in our series in First Samuel. But before we do, today's the day I wanted to pause because a lot of folks are heading out on mission trips this summer, and we thought today would be the day that before we jump into 1 Samuel, let me just pause and talk to you as a church about you going on a mission trip. You going on a mission trip. Now, here's what I won't waste a lot of time on. I will not spend a lot of time trying, I, I won't ask you to go on a mission trip. That's not necessary. Jesus left us the great commission. He commanded us, go into all the world. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. So that's not something you ask a Christian to do. That's a commandment from our Lord Jesus, right? I mean, if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, if you are a blood-bought, born-again believer, then we have a command from our Lord Jesus to go. So that's not up for debate. That's, I, I don't have to ask myself or anyone else. Uh, 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 Jesus gave us the great commission, not the great suggestion, right? My job as a pastor, my job is to help all of us, to encourage us, and to help us with the how. See, if, 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 if you don't want to go on a mission trip because of uh, the motivation, then that's a heart issue, and that's for another day. For a lot of folks, it's just you don't realize how simple it is. So this is what I want to do today. I want to take a pause. I want to show you this. And uh, I think if I show you this, it's going to open up all sorts of opportunities for you. Take out your smartphone. Take out your smartphone. And I need you to get to a website. Now, you can type this website in, but probably the simplest, simplest way to get to this website, if you open your camera app on your phone, I'll just do it the way my phone works. Yours may work different. If you don't have a smartphone, get with somebody who does. And go to this website by, if you zoom in on that QR code, it brings up a little yellow box, at least it does for me, it did, it's gone, it's back, and it can send me to this website. This is a website I'm sending you to, the North American Mission Board, and I want you to, I had to pull down a couple times to load. You should get to a page that says Mission Trip Send Relief, and has a bunch of cities with pictures of the cities. Kind of give me a little, a little uh, wave when and if you get to that. Okay, good, you got it. If, if you're not, just get around somebody that has one, right? Um, if, uh, if, if you can't pull it up for some reason, what this is, is the North American Mission Board. This is part of your denomination. You already support the North American Mission Board. The Southern Baptists divide missions into International Mission Board and North American Mission Board. Uh, I used to, NAMB, a lot of folks, if you've been around church, uh, this church a while, they start calling NAMB, they call it NAM, NAM. Uh, I stopped calling it NAM because it was a little confusing. I was, I was preaching something about NAM and how we got to support NAM and we got to go. And this one guy stopped me. He's like, Vietnam's a great country, but there's other places. And I was like, no, 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 it's not NAM, whatever. So the North American Mission Board, if you have ever given a dime to First Baptist Church, you've already supported the North American Mission Board. This is your denomination. They work for you uh, uh, because a portion of what you give here goes to support North American missions. So the missions committee here at the church, the chairman, Elton Bolden, came to me a month or two ago. And I said, we, they have made it so simple for you to go on a mission trip. And I just think people don't know about this. This is your denomination. This is your, like, set, it's set up for you to go on a mission trip. So here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. Just for fun, this will not obligate you, but I want to show you how you can be on an organized mission trip in just like three or four clicks. 
So, so just for fun, this will not obligate you, but I want everybody right now who has this open, I want you to go ahead and pick a city where you want to go. Pick a city. And when you click it, it should bring up that city's page. And when you bring it up, uh, just give me a little heads up like I've got it. I'm, I'm ready to move on. Okay. Pick a city. You see there's cities there. I had, to, I had to pull down a couple times to get it to like, yeah. Okay. Anybody pick Chicago? Show of hands. Chicago? Okay. One of you. Anybody pick Denver? Okay. Quite a few. If you picked Valdosta, Georgia, exits are here, here, and well, you go to L.A., you go to New York, and you pick Valdosta, anybody pick Shreveport? All right, okay, all right, all right, represent Louisiana. All right, I pick New York. Everybody pick one? Everybody pick one? This is not obligate you, but look what comes up. Look what comes up. A little description of all these trips and the dates. New York Mission Trip, basketball tournament, New York Mission Trip, vision tour, after school program, ESL, Ministry of the Marginalized. The North American Mission Board has send relief centers in all of these cities. So if you've got, now you've got dates. These are actual like trips you can go on. Now, now it won't obligate you, but just for fun, just for fun, pick, pick a date. Go ahead, pick a trip. I'm gonna pick one in October, October, let's do this one, October 16th to the 21st, New York Mission Trip. Okay, pick one. It's, it's won't obligate, it's not a trick. You're like, ha ha, now you're committed. <laughs> uh, everybody got it? Now, when you, when you, Pick a trip. Look what comes up. It gives you the details of the mission trip, the dates. It tells you about the ministry center. It tells you what you will be doing. It gives you the exact next steps, frequently asked questions, daily schedule, recommendations for hotel, for lodging, the, uh, and then the fee, the cost. That's the field fee to participate on this trip. For this one, I picked, it's an age limit, 18 and up. You have to be over 18. And the, f- the field fee is 200 bucks a person. You're responsible for your hotel and getting there, your transportation. It's 200 bucks to take a mission trip uh, to New York City for a week. It's that simple. Now, when you get to that page, if you click the big yellow button, sign up for this event, it tells you there, we can take 10 participants on this trip. So far, the capacity is, oh, zero out of 10. So it has full capacity. I mean, I mean, zero out of 10 remaining, you can sign up. If you click sign up for this event, now you are starting to commit, okay? So uh, don't do that until you're ready. Uh, I show you that, that's incredible to me. That, that is so Simple, and for some of you who are like still stuck on getting the QR code, you're like, this was not simple. Uh, if that's you, don't worry. You can come to the church office or call, and we have this thing called millennials. We have some that work for us, and they're great. They can show you, they can take your phone and do this in like two seconds. They can figure out how to do it. You can do this from a home computer. All I wanted to do is put it out there because here's what, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Um, we know we're called to go. I just don't think people realize how easy our denomination, North American Mission Board, built this whole setup. And then they reach out to you with the details and everything. They built this so that local churches could easily get their people on the mission field. Our church is in revival. We're growing. God's blessing with baptism. We've got to go. And so I'm going to ask you, will you prayerfully consider one of these trips? Now, it doesn't have to be with the North American Mission Board. That's fine. But to me, this is, this is such an easy next step. If, if your problem has not been the what or the why, you, you're a believer, you believe in the Great Commission, you just need some steps with the how, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Look, you're already planning trips. They got trips in 2023. They got, what if your family, instead of going to, you go to Disney every year, what if you skip one year and you go do ministry at a ministry center in Las Vegas? What if you, if you had the resources, hear me out, you're already planning trips. What if a few of you that normally travel together, what if you said, hey, this time, Let's take this, this, this two-day mission trip. Let's take this four-day mission trip uh, to, 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 to Chicago. What if we went to Valdosta? What if, right? What if there's a ministry center there? 
There's a chance to reach out and to bless and meet people's physical needs and also share with them the gospel. What if you already travel? What if you had the means? Some of you have the means. You have the resources. You're already going to Colorado for a ski trip. What if you went a week before with your family and you, and you spent a week doing missions in Denver? And you tell me 10 years from now which of those trips you remember. That's how it always is, isn't it? You've been on mission trips. You know I'm right. You go on vacation after vacation after vacation. They all run together. But you've never forgotten that mission trip. How could your family be different if you went on a family mission trip? Sunday school classes, talk about this. How could we as a Sunday school class prayerfully send a couple of you? And if you need help with the money, the missions committee has already said there are funds available that you have given. Part of what that missions money is for is to get our people on airplanes and get them and get them into these cities and send them on mission. We can help you. If the, don't let the cost uh, be the thing that you say, well, so I, I encourage you to do that. You're already planning trips. Why not a mission trip? It's that simple. Uh, the missions committee, uh, their heart is international missions, and there's, a, there's two sin relief centers in Puerto Rico. Now, technically, that's part of the North American Mission Board, but that's a, a gateway, we think, to one day into international missions, and there's a link there for international missions as well. But we thought, let's start here. Let's start with this. So I challenge you. I encourage you. Let the church know, and we can be praying for you. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more uh, in the days ahead. To me, that is just so simple. Uh, but something that is simple, of course, is not always easy. And that is my segue to 1 Samuel 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. Thank you for allowing me to pause before we jump back into 1 Samuel and give what I think is a very exciting and clear call for missions but just because something is simple, something is clear, doesn't make it easy. We're going to be continuing in 1 Samuel chapter 7. And here, we're at a place where it's pretty simple what the children of Israel need to do, but that doesn't make it easy. A lot of things are like that in life. I mean, weightlifting 1,000 pounds is simple. Lift it up. That's simple. Go up. That's simple. But now doing it, that's not easy. Okay? A lot of things are like that. Solving world hunger is simple. Just make sure everybody has food. But that doesn't mean it's easy. The children of Israel are now in a place where they need to return to God. They need to come back to God. Simple. Here's what you do. And if you're there, you need to come back to God. If you're far from God and you need to be drawn close to Him, it's really simple. Repent, believe, obey. Repent, believe, obey. But that doesn't make it easy. And that's what we're going to see here. We almost have like an anatomy of repentance. I'm calling this message today new mercies, new mercies. It's all about God's mercy. And if you need to come back to the Lord today, this is going to be a word for you. If you have a loved one who's straying, this is a word. It's simple to understand. In fact, it's, it's not easy. When I say it's not easy, it's really impossible in your own strength. But by God's grace, my prayer is God's word today would lead you to return to your first love. Are you there? 1 Samuel 7. Here's the outline for those of you who are note takers. You love this stuff when, when there's like uh, three points that are written in parallel structure. Uh, Dale Ralph Davis in his excellent and actually rather funny commentary on 1 Samuel. He, this is his wording for this, for, for this chapter. The preparation for God's mercy, the experience of God's mercy, and the memory of God's mercy. Got it? That'll guide our study. The preparation of God's mercy, the experience of God's mercy, and the memory of God's mercy. Let's jump right in. The preparation for God's mercy. We're going to start in verse 2. You may recall from last time <clears throat> the ark of God had been captured. 
Ichabod, glory gone. And then the ark was returned. You remember that night in Dagon's temple? And with some bovine help, the ark was moved back to... I showed restraint last week. I want you to know. It could have been much worse. The ark was moved back, and it's back now in Israel, and it should have been happy ever after. The problem was the, the ark was too hot for the Philistines to handle. It was too hot for the Israelites to handle. So now what? Well, now they basically parked it at this uh, one guy's house, and it, it stayed there, and that's where we pick up the action now. From that day, the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim. You see that? Chapter 7, verse 2. A long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. That 20 years is the Bible's way of saying a full generation had passed. You know, it struck me uh, at this last graduation, this last commencement, it struck me that um, uh, these graduates will have to be told about 9-11. Like, they'll read about it. They'll know about it. Of course they know about September 11th, but they weren't there like many of you were. They'll have to be told. Here you got this situation where you got folks, you got an entire generation that's grown up. And now they're, they're 19, 20 years old going, hey, I don't get it. Why are we slaves to the Philistines? Aren't we God's people? Didn't God promise that his presence would protect us and surround us? And where's the ark anyway? And why is it parked up there at Kiriath-Jerim? I don't understand what's going on. They're having to be told this generation passed. And you get this sense that something's going on. Something's, something's brewing. It says that the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. That word lamented is only used a couple times in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, it's translated, they wailed. And there's a scene in Micah where it says they groaned. There's a real contrition here. And they lamented. This is not just, based on what happens next, this is not just, yeah, I'm remorseful. Yeah, I'm sorry we're getting kicked around by the Philistines. Yeah, I'd really like out of this bad situation. This is real contrition. You want to start with repentance? Repentance starts with contrition, actually being sorry over your sin. And not just, not just sorry, you know, sorry you got caught, but sorry enough to actually change. You know the difference between remorse and repentance. When I say repentance, I mean turning from sin, turning to the Lord. You know the difference between remorse and repentance, right? Anybody can feel remorseful. Remorse, we all feel that. I, I wish I hadn't done that. I really wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't posted that. Man, I wish I hadn't made that decision. Or my favorite, the one when politicians say, mistakes were made. <laughs> yeah. But real repentance means not just sorry you got caught, but sorry enough to actually change. It's not just, it's not just well, the words you're saying. You're, there's actual contrition. Listen, I had to do this when I was a kid, and now I make my kids do it. And for the life of me, you've done it. Don't judge. You've done it. And for the life of me, you did it when you were a kid, you've done it as a parent, and for the life of me, I have no idea what I'm trying to accomplish when I do this. To this day, when I make my kids do it, I have no earthly idea what I'm really trying to accomplish. You've done it, I've done it, we all had to do it when we were kids, and it's this. <clears throat> Tell your sister you're sorry. <laughs> How's that go? Sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. Tell your sister you're sorry and mean it. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and then you're still mad, so you're like, nah. now hug. <laughs> right? 
This is not tell your sister you're sorry. You're laughing because you've done it, right? I'm like, what am I accomplishing, right? E- literally, it goes against everything I've ever, anyway. The idea here is that I, I, I just need, I need some, I want it from the heart. Obviously, I can't legislate that, but what's going on is, is, is the kid really just wants out of trouble. I'm not saying sorry because it's contrition from the heart. I'm saying sorry because I don't want to be in trouble. I want my freedom back. I don't want to be grounded. I don't, you know, the Israelites, how do we know this was real repentance? How do we know there's real contrition? Because look, they're not lamenting after their lack of riches. They're not lamenting after their loss of freedom. They're not lamenting after their freedom. Remember when we weren't slaves to the Philistines. Remember when we had power. They're not lamenting after a better life. They're lamenting after the Lord. You see the difference? That's repentance. They're not just sorry they got caught, like kids going, sorry. Sorry, you're such a jerk, right? (laughs) No. There's, there's, There's a broken relationship, and they want that relationship back. That's real repentance. They wanted They wanted God. Repentance is when you're not just sorry you broke God's law. You're sorry you broke his heart. You long for that fellowship to be restored. You long for that relationship to be restored. Well, that can lead to lots of tears and emotions. But Samuel Samuel says in the next verse what plainly needs to be said. Now, this is incredible. Samuel looks around and thinks, well, maybe. Maybe there's real contrition here. Maybe not, but, but there's enough of it that Samuel says, now wait a minute, where there's smoke, there's fire. There may be something here. God may be stirring. God may be doing something. And so Samuel said, and Samuel's so good. He's such a, he so, says it so plainly, so clearly. He said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then let's see it. Let's make repentance tangible. I love what Dale Ralph Davis says. Uh, 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 He had to see that this was not just a frothy repentance. Not a great adjective, a frothy repentance. You know froth, right? What you really want is the milkshake underneath. The froth is just a bunch of show on top. I don't want the froth. I want the good stuff. That's what he's saying. It's not just a bunch of tears and emotions. Samuel says, so if you're really repenting, if you really want to turn with all your heart, put away the foreign gods and the Asheroth from among you. And direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So real repentance is more than just tears. It's costly. It's tangible. What's this business about the other gods and the Asheroth? Baal and the Asheroth. These are Asheroth poles representing uh, uh, the, the, the worship of these fertility gods. He says, put these idols away. Get these idols out of your life. Then you'll know your repentance is real. Right? Turn your back on idols. Now, true repentance is costly. Now, this is incredible to me. This verse is 3,000 years old, and yet look how modern. If the Israelites are going to repent, that means it's going to cost them. They have, and, and I think we're not honest enough about how much we really love sin. We love being part of the world's ways. We're kind of in step with the world. And Satan and the world, the flesh and the devil, right, they, they sort of leave us alone because we're in step with the culture. To repent means a clean break from worldliness, a clean break with the culture. And it breaks along two lines in this verse, at least two. But they're so modern. Look at the break from culture. Bre- tear away from all these gods and serve him only. It's the exclusivity of God. Now, why is that so striking? You can only worship God. Because in the ancient Near East, did you know Yahweh was the only God that demanded that kind of exclusivity? In pagan polytheism, did, you, did that occur to you? Dagon, Baal, Asheroth, all of them, they had no problem with you then later worshiping at other gods. They had no problem with that at all. 
So if you needed wisdom, you'd go to the God of wisdom. If you needed your crops to grow or you needed children, you'd go to the God or the goddess of fertility. And so you might go to one on Thursday. You might go to one on Friday. And as long as one was getting his regular sacrifice, that God didn't care. You could worship all sorts of gods. Just occasionally circle back to this one. But, you know, Yahweh was different. There are no other gods. The first commandment, no other gods besides me. He demands unrivaled worship. Yahweh loves the people too much to have them cuddling up with other gods. Well, that puts them at a real break with their pagan culture, doesn't it? They have to break away from that. Here we are 3,000 years later. That will still put you at odds with culture. The culture has no problem with you saying, hey, I found what works for me. It's my God among many. No problem. But when you say, no, there is no name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. That's it. He's the only way to God the Father. Well, now you've broken away from culture. It's costly. And I think it's interesting, too, 3,000 years later, it also, this Asheroth um, uh, and these Baals, these were not just fertility gods, but how do I say this? With the worship of these gods came sexual rituals. One commentator put it this way. In these pagan religions, chapel and brothel were the same place. So you would go and part of your quote-unquote worship would have been sleeping with this temple prostitute. And, and the idea was sort of that, that Baal and Asheroth would see that and he would bless you with, the, you know, a fertility for crops and things. So here they are breaking from culture and their religion, watch this now, 3,000 years old, their religion put them at odds in terms of what was in and out of bounds in terms of the sexual ethic. Now here we are 3,000 years later and culturally our faith of all the touch points our faith has put us at odds with the culture when it comes to the issue of what's sexually immoral and sexually approved under God's sexual ethic. It's incredible, isn't it? To put them at odds. But the same God who 3,000 years ago gave these people the strength to repent, same God who empowers you. Look at verse 4. Oh, and I pray verse 4 would be your verse today. So simple. Look. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asheroth, and they served the Lord only. Do you need to put away idols? Does this need to be your verse today? They did it. Don't, 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 don't blow right past what a powerful verse this is. The people of Israel did it. You see the humility, the obedience, the trust in God. You're turning from sin, turning toward God. And when Samuel sees that, he says, well, if you're putting the idols away, then your repentance is tangible. It's costly. You know what? I think, you're re I think we're ready to have church. I think we're ready to worship Samuel said, get them all together. Gather all Israel at Mizpah. Isn't worship sweet? After repentance, after confession, after the putting away of idols, to come into the presence of the Lord with other forgiven sinners? Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew. You just feel something's different. You feel... Now, now look, outside, they're still enslaved to the Philistines. They still have all the, the military might is on the Philistine side. The ark is still where it's not supposed to be. It's way up there in Kiriath-Jerim. Like nothing externally has improved, and yet you just know everything's different. Everything's different. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day. You get it? They're fasting. They're saying, we need you, God, more than we need food and water. And they said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Don't you see? It's like nothing was going right in their life, but they got right with God. They made that the priority. Well, true repentance is tangible, it's costly, it's trusting. And I just, we got to move on. But I just want to add one point. It's a subtle point, but I think, it's, I think it's important. I want you to see repentance 
is the condition for God's mercy, but it's never the cause of God's mercy. That is a small point, it's a subtle point, but I want you to understand why I'm saying that. Repentance is the condition for God's mercy, but it's not the cause. In other words, God didn't wait for Israel to repent, and it's not like their repentance was like, okay, we said sorry, we've offered up our, you know, we poured out water, we fasted, we've confessed our sins, and now that we've repented, you have to save us. See, our repentance can twist your arm, God, and now you have to do what we say because we repented. No, 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 no. In fact, this happened to me uh, this week. I got to see this with my own two eyes, an example of this. Repentance is the condition for God's mercy, but it's not the cause. I watched God's mercy come into a kid's life. Uh, so, so this week, I was preaching at a camp for middle schoolers. It was a camp from Woodstock, Texas, and they came to Kentucky, uh, Woodstock, Georgia, and they came to Kentucky. And uh, at this camp, there's like 200-something middle schoolers. Now, when you preach to middle schoolers, expect anything. It's great. It's great. It's awesome. It's probably the best training for preaching to grown-ups that anyone could ever do. Because every grown-up I've ever met is just a grown-up eighth grader. Anyway, the um, uh, 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 Tuesday night, and, and this is, I guess, shame on me for, for you know, judging. Uh, uh, I just would never have expected this. So after the worship services, they let the kids, this is pretty smart, they do a little debrief, and then they let the kids have about an hour or two of free time before bed to kind of get all the energy out. And so they all go to the basketball courts and the volleyball courts. They got gaga pits. They got all this stuff. There's balls flying everywhere, and they give them all like slushies and M&Ms, and it's really, it's great. So, you know, there's people are drinking slushies. And I'm just talking to kids, hanging out. You got to imagine the scene. There's balls flying all around, you know, we're dodging, whatever. And this kid comes up to me. And he says, uh, hey, uh, you're the, you're the uh, preacher, the, guy, the preacher guy, right? I was like, yes. <laughs> and he says, uh, hey, um, can I talk? And remember, balls flying everywhere. I'm like, yeah, man, what else? He's got like a Slurpee, you know? And he's like, uh, hey, um, you said in your sermon, you kept using the word repentance. What's that mean? Do you realize if a kid remembers one word out of a sermon, I am rejoicing. Okay, that is incredible. That is like 100% more than I usually expect, right? And, and to not only remember a word, but to like, to like actually want, a, to care enough to follow up. And, he said, and, I, and so I told him, I said, well, I'm so glad you asked. What a great question. There is, uh, careful volleyball, there is a, uh, repentance means turning, it's turning. It just means turning. Turning from sin, turning toward God. It's the same thing. It's two sides of the same coin. Turning from sin, turning toward God. He goes, is that like a reset? I was like, yes. I think we're done, you know, and I like go back to watching basketball, whatever. He says, do you think I could do that? Yes. I like go back, you know, thinking what, you know, and he says, no, 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 no. Can you help me? Can I, can I do that right now? He started to get a little tear in his eye. I got to do that right now. I was like, yes. Would you like to repeat some words after me? Would that help you? Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Oh, okay. God, I'm sorry for my sin. Help me to turn from my sin. Help me to trust in you. We prayed. He's like, cool, thanks. Right? And like runs off. Now, here's... Here, let me ask you, do you think that kid repenting twisted God's arm and God said, okay, fine, I'll give you mercy? No way. Don't you know 
It's his mercy that touched that boy's heart that led him to repentance. Repentance is the condition for God's mercy, but it's never the cause. Even the chance to repent is a, is a mercy. It's a blessing. Even the fact that God woke them up, even his judgment, even the taking away the ark and the Ichabod, it's all mercy. It's mercy. It's grace upon grace. So the preparation for God's mercy. We move on. The experience of God's mercy. The experience of God's mercy. Okay, so we're going to have a worship service. They're going to repent. They have prepared for God's mercy. Repentance. Now, verse 7. Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah. Have you noticed there is gossip 3,000 years ago? It's not a modern problem. Isn't that something? Remember last week, Ekron heard about the tumors before they got there. Apparently, the rumor mill is very good in ancient Near East. So the Philistines heard the people of Israel gathered at Mizpah. What does that mean? Philistines probably outlawed any gatherings because they figured it's going to be a military deal, right? They're, they're going to gather together and fight. So when they find out about it, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Oh, there's so much good stuff here, right? They go up to worship Almighty God. When they go up to worship, the enemy comes for war. That'll apply to your life today. When, isn't that true? When you go to worship, your enemy is coming for war. Isn't that true? Don't you know? When you take a step of faith. See, as long as you're living for yourself, as long as you're living for idols, then the enemy's just, you're not on his radar. You're no threat to him. But when you seek God, when you begin to worship Almighty God, now you've got the enemy's attention. So when you go up for worship, the enemy comes at you with war. He notices Take a step of faith. Take a bold leap. Go on that mission trip and watch what the enemy, increased temptation. I, that young man that repented, I don't know what's going to happen in his life, but I would not be surprised to find out that these coming weeks, the enemy heightens temptation and tries to, tries to uproot quickly before that repentance can take heart. The enemy sees years of work unfolding right before his eyes. And he's scared and he's working hard. You go up to worship, the enemy comes at you with war. Now, uh, don't be afraid. What the enemy doesn't know that you know is that uh, when your heart is in worship to God and the enemy comes at, at you at war, you may feel woefully prepared, but take heart. Did you know that worship of Almighty God is the best preparation for war you could make? See, as you're worshiping God, that's how. Why? Because the battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. So you continue to worship Almighty God, and you'll be prepared for war. Well, this, and look how different things are. You remember the last time the Philistines came and they got scared? What happened? Remember back in chapter 4? Last time, ah, oh, we're so scared. Quick, go get God's magic box. Remember that? Uh, 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 go get God's magic box, and we'll have the ark go fight. This time it's so different. Look, 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 look at verse 8. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. This time, there's no presumption. They just say our only weapon is prayer. Remember last time it was all about, okay, God, we're going to get the ark, and then you have to fight for us. Presumption. Now it's complete humility. Do you remember last time in chapter 4? Do you remember? It was go get the ark and let it save us from the hand of the Philistines. Now it's not let it save us. Now what? It's he may save us. Now it's complete trust in the Lord. 
The result of chapter 4 was Ichabod. The result of this chapter is going to be Ebenezer. Let me give you a word of application for your church, your family, and you personally. When I say your only weapon is prayer as a church, listen, the vitality of Coleman First Baptist Church, the spiritual vitality, the life of this church will never be manufactured by gimmicks or programs. It won't be if we have the best marketing strategies or the cleverness of leadership or any of that stuff. Our weapon is prayer. It's when we seek God's face. The preaching and teaching of God's word, prayer. That's it. If we uh, uh, want, we can try to see what God can do in this church through what man can do, and we'll get man's results. Or we can turn our eyes completely to the Lord and make this a house of prayer and seeking his face, and we'll get what God can give us. A word for your family. Same thing. The enemy wants nothing more than to take your family down. He wants to rip your marriage apart, blow up your family, cause a bunch of drama in your kids. The enemy loves that. The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy and would love nothing more than to destroy your family. You are not going to overcome the enemy with man's weapons. You are not going to get victory in, uh, uh, based on how better education, uh, maybe get, get them involved in better programs, or, 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 or uh, download a parental control app called Lock Down My Kid Everything. If you're Googling that, you're missing my point. It's not real. I, you know, you know. And if I get enough control over this situation, no, 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 no. No, you're going to win the victory. You're going to overcome the enemy. The power of a praying dad, that's how. The power of a praying mama, a grandma, a grandpa who goes before the Lord. Your weapon is prayer. Now let me ask you personally, because I get it. I mean, wouldn't you think, like, let's prepare for war, and they worship. Let's prepare for war, and they worship. The Philistines are coming, and they worship. Think about what you do on Sunday mornings. Your Sunday morning, right now. Some of you are like, oh, I'm sitting here, I'm watching 1 Samuel 7. Do you realize how much this morning you could be preparing for the week ahead? You could be getting ahead. Think about how much you could be doing on a Sunday morning to prepare for the week ahead. I am here to tell you, there is no better preparation for the week ahead than worship in the house of the Lord on Sunday morning. You're actually spiritually preparing is what you're doing. That's why I'm so big on Sunday school. Yes, oh, but that's time I could spend with my family. That's time I could be here. That's time I could. There is, you will bless your family by investing time in the house of the Lord. A word for you personally. Don't you know it's true? Don't you know that God has brought you in certain times in your life where he took away every crutch, where you couldn't rely on anything. All you had was God. I love John Stott's line. He says, you were stranded on the omnipotence of God. And when he is all you had, he revealed to you he's all you need. Some of the sweetest times in your life is when every other crutch was taken away and all you had was prayer. Your only weapon was prayer. You learned your only weapon is prayer. It's what God does. Only God can take away that addiction. Only God can heal that marriage. Only God can bring back that wayward child. Will you seek his face? Your only weapon is prayer. And the Israelites got that. They knew it this time. They didn't, they didn't try to force God. They didn't try to drag out the ark and say, now you have to do this? Well, how do we know we will be heard? Well, how did Samuel know? Look at verse 9. So Samuel, he didn't just waltz into God's presence and pray. He did something interesting. Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. 
And the Lord answered him. The children of Israel said, Samuel, pray for us like a great high priest, intercede before God. But Samuel instinctively knew it's not so simple. I will intercede for you. I will go before the Lord. But what was he doing? Samuel knew the Bible. There is no access to a holy God except through atonement. Now, let me ask you, New Testament Christian, let me ask you, how can you not, haven't I said throughout this series, look at 1 Samuel, doesn't almost every page whisper the name of Jesus? Does this not point you to Calvary's cross? If not, if, this, if that verse doesn't touch your heart, then read it to a little child. Because little children can sometimes catch the obvious stuff that we grown-ups miss. Read it to a little child and point out that it was a nursing lamb. Little baby lamb, killed, offered up. And that child will instinctively ask, what's the deal with that? What? Little baby lamb, killed? Yeah. I don't understand. Was it, what did it do? Was it a bad lamb? No, little one. Well, what did the lamb do wrong? That's not fair. You're right, kiddo. The people did wrong. The lamb didn't do anything wrong. You're right again. Well, then what? You can say to that child, well, dear one, uh, Samuel's saying that what's happening to this lamb is what should have been done to every rebel sinner. But you see, this lamb was a substitute. And Samuel's acting as a high priest, interceding for God the people, and he's offering up a, a substitute. And when we read it, we're supposed to think of Calvary's cross, where the great high priest Jesus was interceding for us, and he offered up himself as the sinless, spotless lamb of God who died in our place as our substitute for our salvation. He did nothing wrong, but our sins were laid upon him. And by his stripes we're healed and we have access to God. As Samuel, verse 10, was offering up the burnt offering. Oh, and th this to me, this could be right out of a summer blockbuster, this scene. I can see it in my mind like a movie. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, as this is happening, he's got the lamb, he's got the praying, he's got the worship, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. I love this because there's always a scene in all these good action movies where, you know, the bomb's ticking down or the, the enemy's coming. You're like, how's he going to get out of the room in time? It's like Samuel's worshiping. He's offering up the lamb. And they're like, oh, uh, Mr. Priest, Mr. Priest Samuel, prophet, prophet, Sam, what do you like to be called? Um, uh, Sir Samuel, uh, like, they're less than a mile away. You can see them. And they're armed to the teeth. Steady now. Steady now. We're going to worship a holy God. Okay, but like, you know, a few minutes go by. Samuel, they're like 100 yards away. The Philistines are coming. They're like 100 yards away. Steady now. Steady now. He's worshiping. He's offering the lamb. He's praying. Okay, Samuel, um, seriously, seriously, bro. Like, 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 at some point, you got to put down the worshiping and, and pick up the sword, right? At some point, take up a weapon. Let's go. You know his associates were like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. This Bible's pretty heavy. I could throw it. Like, you know, like, they're looking around. Well, what are we going to do to defend ourselves? And there's Samuel refusing to give up the worship of a holy God. And they get closer. They're like 50 yards away. Samuel, drop the praying and get to fighting. But the man of God stayed at his post, and his only weapon was prayer. He was stranded on the omnipotence of God. 
you know who he reminds you of? I mean, Jesus, but the answer is always Jesus. I'm thinking of someone else. You know who he reminds you of? When he was being attacked by the enemy, he did not pick up and use the enemy's weapons and attack back. He went to God in prayer. He trusted in God. He relied on God. You know who he reminds you of? You know who he looks just like? His mama. See, I'm still stuck on Hannah from chapter one. And that wicked rival, Penina, throwing those evil barbs at her, right? Really trying to wound her, really trying to hurt her. Hannah never once picks up the weapons of the enemy and fights back. Hannah never once explodes on social media and I'll show her and I'll shame her. And I, Hannah never once starts cussing back at her and getting mad at her. Hannah goes to the Lord in prayer. Trust the Lord in prayer. Look at Samuel. Look just like his mama. And when Hannah got her prayer answered, do you know what she did in, uh, in chapter 2? She, she wrote a psalm. Now watch this. This is very important. Keep this in mind for what's about to happen. She wrote a psalm, and she basically brags on how good God is. She talks about how God has blessed her. God's taking care of this. Then she starts predicting the future. She said the Lord's going to do this, and he's going to do this. And then she says, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. Now remember this. Oh, Hannah. Oh, Hannah. Did you, Hannah, did you know? That'd be a great Christmas song. <laughs> Hannah, did you know that you called the shot? Like, it, look, 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 okay, okay, back to the story. So, so he's praying, the Philistines are coming, the Philistines are coming, and there's Samuel, and he keeps praying, and Samuel, he, he wouldn't have heard this prayer. He had just been a baby. He didn't know, but somehow this prophecy comes to bear. Now back to the action. Samuel, let's go. They're just a short distance away. We're all going to die, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound. God sends a thunder. And he's like, Hannah. <laughs> thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. The battle belongs to the Lord. Now, what kind of thunder would it take? For, uh, um, so some of you, when you were children, think back to when you were kids. Some storms, okay, no big deal. But some storms, there was such a clap of thunder that be honest, you were scared. And then are you going to admit it? Okay. Now, when you're an adult, there are still some storms that no big deal, but there's some claps of thunder that, be honest, even scare adults. You tell me, how great a thunder did it have to be for grown men, soldiers, aggressive soldiers who are coming to attack, for them to be so scared and thrown into confusion that they're routed? That's just God clearing his throat, and they all just scatter. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Beth Car. Mercy experienced. Mercy prepared for by repentance. Mercy experienced when they knew our only weapon is prayer. The battle belongs to the Lord. And finally, the memory of God's mercy. Memory of God's mercy. Let me ask you, do you have memory of how God's been good to you? Look at what Samuel does. Samuel realizes this was God that did this. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. I want to close with that verse 12. Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. Ebenezer is just Hebrew that translates the stone of help. And he said, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. That's the old King James. Till now the Lord has helped us. Samuel realized we need a memorial here. 
He realized God had done a great victory. They had repented. They had trusted in the Lord. God did it. And so he said, I need everybody to remember this. I need for generations. He took a page out of Joshua's book. He remembers when Joshua crossed the Jordan. God stopped the Jordan River. Let the people come across. Joshua said, get 12 stones. Stack them up. Why? So that everybody, you can tell your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids, when they see that and they go, what's that big memorial? What's that statue? You can say, that's where the Lord helped us. Let me tell you that story. They can go back to this is where the Lord helped us. And so he raises up a stone and he calls it Ebenezer. And he says, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. He's gotten us this far by faith. He's gotten us this far geographically. Look at where they are in the journey of the promised land. And he's gotten them this far spiritually. Look at what's overcome. This word comes up in one of our favorite hymns. Do you know it? Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy prayer. You know this one? The second verse says, here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed, that means put between, his precious blood. You know, uh, a musician's going to come and lead us in a time of response. And I just want you to use this response. I want you to think about some Ebenezer's in your life. What are the stones of help? For some of you, a great Ebenezer in your life was believer's baptism, wasn't it? When you were baptized. Why? Because baptism is an Ebenezer. It's saying to the world, look at what he did in my life. Look at what God has done for me. And you were baptized to show the world, here, look, world, there, that's my Ebenezer. Others of you, you, I hope you keep a prayer journal. I hope you keep some sort of journal where you can go back and read an old journal and you can see where you were and you can see where the Lord brought you out of. And if you say, Pastor Tom, I've never done that. I've never been good at journaling. I haven't kept a journal. Here, I can give you a journal of the victories of God. You ready? Here you go. If you got a copy of the Bible, you got a prayer journal of the victories of God. And why? Why all this? Why this Ebenezer? Well, well, Samuel knows we got to live in the present. We all do. we got to live in the present. But he wants us to dwell in the past to have faith for the future. The point of an Ebenezer is every time you look back on that, you, you dwell in the past. You look at the mercy of God in your life. You look at what he's brought you through, and you ask yourself this question. Do you think he brought you this far to abandon you now? Do you think, do you think he brought you this far to abandon you now? Do you not think he's got a plan for you? Do you think he's got a hope? for you because he lives I can face tomorrow so 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 we're gonna have an Ebenezer you know every church has an Ebenezer uh, 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 we're gonna have one in two I think it's in two Sundays maybe three um, the Lord's Supper is an Ebenezer isn't it Dale Ralph Davis says most communion tables say do this in remembrance of me he wanted to put below his hither by thy help I'm come he says, just as appropriate. Every time you take the Lord's Supper, you say, look at, look at where he's brought us in faith. Look at what he's done. And it takes your mind back to the ultimate stone of help. After that Roman cross, after that day where he, he didn't even spare his own son, he offered up Jesus for us and our salvation. Three days later, there's an Ebenezer for you. Three days later, that stone is rolled away. You talk about an Ebenezer stone of help. How about that stone that guarded the empty tomb that every single Christian in here can point to and say, why do you have hope for tomorrow? All this death, all this destruction, all this disease, all this war, because there's an empty tomb. Because he lives. Why do you even believe the Bible? This book's 3,000 years old. Let me let you know a secret. 
I haven't done a lot of text critical analysis. I haven't done all my homework on the historical reliability of ancient manuscripts. My apologetic for believing the Bible is a lot simpler. Because the man who got up out of the grave believed it. Good enough for me. Because he lives, I believe the Bible. Because he lives, I will live. Because he lives, I have hope for tomorrow. I can look back at that. That is an Ebenezer stone in every Christian's life. It's the stone that was rolled away. See? What's keeping you from repentance today? What would keep you from, like that, like that young man at camp this week? Just as simple as could be. Do you think I could have a reset? Yes. His mercy is available to you. His grace is available to you. He loves you. Would you bow your head, close your eyes with me? Oh God, grant to us this grace. Those of you who, those of us who are your children, Lord, those of us who are your children, grant that you would call to mind Ebenezer stones in our life. Moments of healing, of, of, of miraculous deliverance. Moments when we thought all hope was lost, but we were stranded on your omnipotence. And call to mind Calvary's cross and the empty tomb. Help us to think about our own baptism, the Lord's Supper, all of these Ebenezers. And God, if there's somebody here who needs to be saved, let today be an Ebenezer day. Let today be a day where they can look back and say, this is the day I repented. I turned my life over to you. I surrendered to you. All glory to you. Grant us that, God. We need your help. We need your grace. And we thank you that it was freely given for us in our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.